We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Aikman is intercepted by Sam Mills. Steve Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. Newton steps up, goes for the end zone. Olsen, touchdown! Brian Burns to the house! And it is caught for the touchdown by Moore. And in the foot race, McCaffrey to the end zone. Keep pounding on three! One, two, three! Keep pounding! Welcome to another episode of The Roar, brought to you by Blue Wire. As always, I am joined by my co-host, Mr. John Ellis, and we here at <clears throat> The Roar want to wish all of our listeners happy holidays and always thank you for listening to us. John, how's it going? Hey, man. Happy holidays to you and uh, your family and friends and everybody out there. Hope you all had a good Christmas or whatever you celebrate out there. And uh, yeah, we've got a few things to talk about for the Panthers. Um. I, I did see the game yesterday. I saw quite a bit of it. I turned it off like when it was like twenty nine to six. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was on my smaller screen here in my house. Uh, yeah. Like usual, I don't like commenting on the team on Twitter because it, it's been very, very uh, toxic um, with relation to. I wouldn't say the fan base has been that way. I would say just the mood around the entire organization. Um, it's it's all over the place right now i just want you john you've obviously you've have a very level-headed perspective on things you were very um you know opinionated obviously yesterday on twitter so i'm just going to give you the soapbox you don't have to break down the game just get anything that's off your mind off your chest whatever right now oh bah humbug (laughs) where do i start jesus um it was bad billy I mean, the, the game itself, we'll, we'll dive into the details, but it, it, it does, to me, always come down to a weekly eval. It's, it's always week to week, okay? So that's the way I approach this. I know you're very much the same way. Look, every week is a new opportunity to put some tape out there that, that we can look at and say, you know what, this, this is trending in the right direction. And the, the thing that continues to bother me with this coach, and we'll get to the messaging element in a minute because that, that's a big part of this too, and we've covered that. But the play on the field continues to be either stagnant or going backwards. Um, Matt Rule talked about middle of the season, Billy, wanting to enhance the running game, even put a target number on that. I want to read to our listeners here uh, a stat. 
Panthers running backs yesterday combined for 14 yards rushing. Tom Brady had 11 yards rushing on one carry. <laughs> I know those are an advanced metrics. I get that, but those are some pretty damning numbers right there. I get that Tampa has the best probably run defense in the league, if not second best, but look, it was just bad, Billy. The atmosphere in that stadium is awful. And I talked to a number of people, not only on the press side, but just fans who were there yesterday. Hell, I almost went. My brother and I were talking about taking my kids up and, and checking out. I just said, no, I, I refuse. I can't, in good faith, pay money for a product I know is going to stink. And it stunk. Um, more wasted timeouts, uh, bad game management, You know, play clocks drifting down to five, four, three. Uh, the quarterback platoon issue, you know, my whole thing is like, whatever quarterback you want, put him in and keep him in there. If it's Sam, fine. You invested draft capital in him. That clearly was a mistake. But if, if it's your guy, play him. And if you don't want him, play Newton, but play one guy and, and demonstrate to us what you can do in terms of growth. Defensively, you know, look, they get exposed when they get down early. Uh, Carolina obviously took an early lead there, three nothing, but that wasn't going to last. We knew that uh, they're light in the box. The wide zone stuff kills them right now. They don't set the edge very well. What they do a good job of, and they didn't do it yesterday, but what they typically do a good job of is getting pressure with four, and that was going to be the key to any win yesterday. And they couldn't do it. They just they weren't. They, they just didn't win. They didn't win matchups. Um, the secondary was a mess. Uh, Taylor slipped on one. Gilmore slipped on another. Um, and this team, Billy, they played yesterday, Tampa was missing a lot of guys. And I just want to remind folks that Sean Payton, um, was out the week prior for new Orleans. Taysom Hill was the quarterback and they shut this team out nine, nothing. So you contrast that against a home game for Carolina where they're relatively healthy. Uh, they, they finally start Brady Christensen at left tackle and looks pretty good in pass sets overall. Uh, but they just got the their asses kicked by 26 points at home. And uh, I, I don't know if I've seen a worse game this year other than maybe the Giants game by this Panthers team. So with, with regards to the head coach, uh, I, I like I said, the last two weeks we've done this show, I've seen enough. Um, it's Monday right now around mid, midday Eastern time. I, I don't anticipate any firing happening. Uh, I haven't heard anything from my sources that would indicate that's going to happen. But, you know, it's been a year of surprises. Who the hell knows? I just think going into year three here, Billy, what's there to look forward to? What's the positive momentum? What are, is this, is this program better now than it was when Matt Rule took over? I would argue it's worse. So that's where I stand right now. And, and we can get into more detailed discussion about some of the ridiculous things the coach said. Oh my the game. Lord. But damn, Billy, it's just – it's an all-time low. I've been watching this team 26-plus years now, Bill. I can't remember. Even the Seifert year, the 2001 year, you at least knew that was – George was on his way out. And they had a pretty good core on that team, and they were going to find a bona fide head coach. They did, I think, if I recall, interview Spurrier. And, and that's where I was like, <laughs> oh, God, can they dodge that bullet, please? And they went with John Fox, who a lot of people didn't know about. But he was a bona fide NFL coach, and he built a really good staff. And this team is just poorly constructed right now. I guess I have a lot of issues with messaging, as we like to say here on this show. Um, the first thing is this talk about how, I don't even know if I should go there first, 
there was just so many things that came out of that press conference that really just made me scratch my head. Um, and okay, let me get to one thing first. Okay, uh, the trajectory between the first two years of Matt Rule and Ron Rivera, and I think we've mentioned this already, but go back to 2012. They were this team was losing a lot of close games that year. We had the debacle against the Falcons where Nakamura doesn't knock the pass down. And then you had the debacle against the bears that you should have won. And, but to close out the year, they were three and nine and then they won four in a row. But I think the critical thing they had there was they had a franchise QB, a rookie of um, a quarterback who won rookie of the year through 4,000 yards of previous season. Um, and but you so you had something to look forward to right now you don't have that quarterback and and so that's number one and so i saw and you also had a changing a general manager too um we should mention 2012 and herney got fired like after that cowboys game and then uh brandon bean took over so uh, there were just a lot of layers i don't like people comparing to rule second year to Rivera's because they were very competitive in Rivera's second year. And if they just got over the hump of those close losses, then they could turn around the next year. And again, those final four games where they won those games, they finished out the year seven or nine um, that saved Rivera's job. The other thing I'm starting to see here, at least um, from Matt is this talk about a rebuild that's they, they have it they've caught too many shortcuts in yeah. relation to what a rebuild looks like if you want to go through a rebuild go, go look look at the texans or the lions look at the texans yesterday man i mean it's two weeks in a row they've won games but they're competing their butts off they have no talent on that team but cully and that staff an nfl staff i should say a staff that has pep hamilton lovey smith robert prince they got a lot of NFL guys in that staff, and they're competing. And they're yep. their rookie quarterback. They have maybe I don't know if Davis Mills is going to be a good quarterback or not, but he's playing like certainly one of the better rookie quarterbacks. And and that's the thing. And they're showing improvement late in the year, so they're buying into the messaging of the coaching. Same thing with Detroit. We always bring up that example. And so for me, it's this is you, you can't call it a rebuild when you trade a third round pick for C.J. Henderson or you trade a pick for Gilmore and you make all of these moves that don't, I mean, you're supposed to, I mean, we mentioned Fitterer said they were in win now move after they signed Cam Newton yeah. or playoff, whatever. Yeah. So th- this is not a rebuild. Let's just make that perfectly and abundant clear. If this was a rebuild and it would not have been a rebuild the day he came in, because remember they signed McCaffrey to a big extension. They traded Trey Turner for, you know, a 30 something year old left tackle. So yeah. to me, this, everything has been all over the place and I'm not sure who's responsible for this. Ultimately it starts at the top and it, it's, it's on the owner's resume. And I don't know what type of influence he's having over this, but yesterday that press conference, especially because John remember one year ago today, or at least about a year ago today, he came in uh, boasting about their great win against the Washington football team and saying that I don't trust the Philadelphia 76ers process. I don't believe in oh, yeah. all this other nonsense. And then he tries mm-hmm. it and a year later. He says, Oh, you know, it's a rebuild. Things take time and it just doesn't show up. If it doesn't show up fine, but the Buccaneers were missing a ton of starters yesterday yeah. and you just, you got humiliated. That's plain and simple. And um, 
I don't know. Again, every report Jonathan Jones is as plugged in as a national reporter can be to this area. He's from this area. He has a lot of connections in that building. I have no reason to think he's not telling the truth. I think I, I think he's probably spot on because I think Joe Person also confirmed it. Joe Jason Lockin Four also had a similar report. Um, so I don't want to. I don't know. We both of us we have our, we've made our feelings cl- quite clear on the head coach. My just question is: this organization right now it's in the spotlight now. You can't just look to dysfunction in other places like Jacksonville. All right, they've already moved on from their dysfunctional head coach yeah and now, and now be... they have now they have an early jump billy yeah so 28 states so they can go get a candidate like doug peterson or the enemy or any of these guys and, and carolina has yet to afford themselves that advantage so john um it, it's just all over the place right now uh you know the play on the field doesn't uh it, it's not worth it and the Oh man, the quarterback position. Darnold didn't do anything. I mean, he had that one nice play, the first play to Shy Smith, which again was a little off schedule, but he didn't do anything that really impressed me yesterday, which I knew was going to happen. He's not a very good quarterback. Uh, and it, yes, the team on the field isn't playing well. The defense is sort of regressing in some areas. What is there to look forward to? Not much. Uh, not much. I, that's what's so disheartening about this, Billy, is there's nothing to cling on to. You talked about that 2012 season, and then you can even bring up 2002. These were kind of the, the the bedrock moments for Ron Rivera and John Fox. Ron Rivera, after an overtime loss November 18th in 2012 at home to Tampa, and that was a heartbreaking loss, but they were very competitive in that game. Tampa was competitive that year. Carolina goes on Monday night, beats Philadelphia on the road. They lose a heartbreaker on the road to Kansas City. Tough loss. They rip off four straight. Atlanta, San Diego, Oakland at New Orleans, where they score 44 points. And that game against Atlanta, that was a big win because that was a win against the number one seed in the NFC that year. That was, was that the home. game where Newton had that long touchdown run? Uh, yes, it was. Gus, Gus Johnson. Johnson call. And uh, Thomas Davis picked off Matt Ryan at the end. That, that was a big, they, they like to use the word culture. That was a culture setting win. And I know they started bad the next year, but Ron eventually got things kickstarted. And those were some tough losses early in that season. But they got things kickstarted, and they eventually ripped off, like, I think, nine or ten straight wins, made the playoffs, um, and, and got things rolling with three straight NFC South crowns. 2002, same kind of thing with John Fox. They go on an eight-game skid after starting 3-0. and But they go to Cleveland, a playoff team, and they win 13-6. to They put up 52 against the Bengals the next week. They're very competitive the following week against a very good Steelers team on the road. And then they mop the floor at the end of the year with Chicago, and they knock the Saints out of the playoffs in week 17 on the road. Again, that built something. That, that built some momentum and some, some forward trajectory for those programs. Matt Rule, to this point, has beaten a bad Lions team. He's beaten Dwayne Haskins, and he really went off the rails after that game like we talked about and, and did everything from, you know, sort of, cheap shotting Ron Rivera to bashing the 76ers process. I don't know what the hell was going on there, but that's just, that <laughs> was a precursor. I think Billy, you and I talked about it. In our it's, it's karma, man. Uh, you know, and then this year, look, three straight wins to open up against some very bad teams, including the saints team who was out half of their staff. Don't think Sean Payton had forgotten about that coming up this week. They beat Atlanta on the road this year. Okay, fine. That's a, that's a decent win. 
they go to Arizona. They catch, you know, lightning in a bottle with Newton early on. But Arizona sucks at home. So, I mean, there's an asterisk there. And Kyler Murray was out for that game. So you look at the quality of wins. They're just not there. And and some of their losses, Billy, where they had a chance to really make hay this year against Philadelphia, against Minnesota, some of the missed opportunities against the Giants were just inexplicably bad. Losses. Yeah, They had it, enough it, talent and had enough competency on the field to win those games, but coaching and the margins lost it for them. And so I would say – I just don't see any good forward momentum here. So – Losing close games happens. So, I, I you know, I, I'll try to give – I'm not going to give them a pass for losing these games because the way it happened was a direct result of poor quarterback play uh, in specifically talking about the Philadelphia and the Minnesota game. Close losses, you know, it happens. Chalk it up, whatever. But getting blown out by the Giants, yeah, that's inexcusable. And then getting blown out by this version of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, yeah. I, I mean – not great. I mean, I was watching the first half. Brady was yelling at his tight ends and receivers. They didn't seem to be have any sort of rhythm, no. uh, and especially in the red zone. They, they threw that long, not, they threw a nice pass to Brady, and then they get there, and you know the defense holds them to a field goal. Uh, they had multiple chances because I think, if I recall correctly, you know Carolina committed like a defensive penalty too. So um, they had quite a number of opportunities down there. So to me. The defense, it's it, it's still playing at an acceptable level where you should win football games. The offense, I mean, it is what it is. It's it's just like I don't want to get into specific players or units or whatever. Everything is just broken. Yeah. And so, John, Jeff Nixon, with all due respect to him, I'm sure he's a nice guy. He sounds nice in his pressers. I like the way he's... He seems to have a lot, a lot of energy. He's very energetic. He always has a smile on his face. I appreciate that kind of optimism, especially towards a game like football. You can't just have a, you know, a downer attitude uh, at all times. So he seems like, again, a nice guy. But right now, it's just the offense isn't working. And I don't blame him at all. I don't blame Jeff Nixon. I blame Matt Rule for firing Joe Brady and putting the onus on putting Jeff Nixon in this position. Yeah, where everything it's the offensive line, the quarterback play, the running back play, the receivers, everything. It's just it's broken. I, I said it last week, and I I mean I don't know what to say. I mean the, even their one big play came out of like improvisation, where you know Darnold kind of made a little nice play and found Shy Smith wide open. Yeah, I don't yeah, know they, what to they, say. Matt wants explosive plays. His two most explosive plays was Shy Smith working down the field and do a busted coverage. And then they had a nice play early in the game where Newton ran the counter and they had some good blocking there, but one of which was by Christensen, who they waited way too long to start him at left tackle, but that's another story. And so there's your explosive plays right there. Other than that, offensively, they were completely impotent. Um, I just want to go back a little bit. This is from a story Max Henson wrote, the old, beat writer for the Panthers back in 2020. Max is a good dude. Yeah, great guy. Yeah. Um, This is a quote from Matt Rule. This is right after he took the job. Quote, it's really hard. It's not fun and no one is having fun. Quote, Rule said about losing early on in the process. Quote, people have a tendency to fracture. So that's where you do your best coaching. It takes confidence to know that you're doing what's right. In those times, that's when players really find out about you as a coach. Everyone gets along when you're winning. And here's what gets me, Billy, the last line. 
When you're losing, do you change? Do you blame others? And a year and a half into this, he fired his offensive coordinator. So those are just hollow words, Billy. It's just all so hollow. And we can't go back and we can't unhire this guy. That's just, it's not a game we can play. But it just speaks to judgment, though. The, the, the judgment of the ownership group, the judgment um, to have Marty Herney along your side there, flying to Waco and outbidding yourself really, and I guess Dave Gettleman and the Giants and the Mara family for Matt Rule's services. I thought at the time, you know, look, okay, let's give this guy a chance. He's got a pretty interesting track record. But then he constructs a staff that just reeks of cronyism and and there's, you know, the one comfort zone. (laughs) The one thing he did out of his comfort zone was Joe Brady, admittedly, and then he fires the guy. Um, One fan last night on Twitter put it best. Um, he said losing seasons under Fox and Rivera felt like a, a different story. This feels directionless. Messaging feels like, quote, be patient while we make impatient moves. And I think that sums it up perfectly. I've been trying to sum this thing up for months now. And I think that's the best way to look at it. Hey, y'all be patient while we do impatient things. And there's just no direction. They have one pick in the top hundred next year, Billy, one goddamn pick. And what do they have to show for it? It's they've got Sam Darnold. They, it's, <laughs> I'm at a loss, man. And then the, the just the, the presser yesterday. Look, I know we talk about this a lot, but this is a really important element in the NFL. I think Coach Campbell does a really good job of this in Detroit. I think guys like Brandon Staley for for his, his questionable as their defense is, he's a great messenger of you know their brand, their product, whatever you want to call it. This is Matt Rule yesterday, quote, I believe it's 1,000% working, talking about the process. Quote, I know no one can see it, and I apologize. As I tell our team all the time, it took Jay-Z seven years. He had to start his own agency to become an overnight sensation. It takes time. So there you go. There's Matt Rule comparing his process to that of Jay-Z. I'm, I'm out. I'm at a loss for words, Bill. It's so ironic because last year he was – crapping on the philadelphia 76ers process (laughs) which a process that's helped them become one of the best teams in the eastern conference and they got joel Embiid, and oh boy yeah um i don't want to get into nba talk right now but to me john it's it's just it's rudderless right now it's it's it it's broken and i don't know what you can do to fix it because if fans are i mean i I didn't see the videos. I don't know if there was a video, but I saw uh, tweets from every beat reporter talking about fire rule chants uh, during the game. If that's happening, the owner is in the stands. How do you come back from that, John? That's never happened here. That's even with Seaford because everybody knew George. That was just a slow burn. I went to every game in 01 down the stretch. I'm a psycho like that. So. those were some lean years and lean moments. And the last game that year, ironically enough, Tom Brady came into Bank of America Stadium, which was Erickson Stadium at the time, you know, same stadium. And they just demolished Carolina, of course. And that was Brady's first division championship. And yesterday, Brady comes into a similar environment full of opposing fans, very apathetic. I mean, there were some chants. I saw it. Um, I saw the videos and it was, you know, it is what it is, you know. It's just that's just never happened. And yesterday, Tom Brady comes in and, and clinches Tampa's first division title since 2007 in in Carolina Stadium. 
And when that happened, Jerry Richardson at the time had said back in 01, you know, the energy has been sucked out of the stadium. And that's when they made the inevitable move. And I just think these are moments you have to look at and say, you know what, as an owner, what are you seeing? What positive steps are you seeing from this individual? Given the fact that the GM and the director of pro personnel, Dan Morgan, Scott Fitter are guys that you brought in after this guy. These are guys that are responsible for constructing the roster. These are guys that are responsible for building your program in a lot of ways. And you have a coach who was brought here before then, and he has shown nothing to me. Uh, Steven Ruiz was on a podcast, our, our good friend, you know, from The Ringer, and he said it best. He says, I don't see one positive thing Matt Rule has brought to the Panthers. And I'm really trying hard, Billy, to find something. I'm not trying to be an asshole. I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just trying to look objectively and say, what has he brought to this thing that has made it better than when he found it? And I see nothing right now. I see an overmatched Big 12 coach who belongs in the Big 12. And that's exactly what he is. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm just speechless at everything that happened yesterday. Um, not necessarily the game. I, you know, I thought maybe they would be a little more competitive, but I'm more speechless at just that press conference because – I mean, the only and I'm, I'm listening to these national podcasts. I'll give you just one that I listen to every week. And again, this isn't me taking shots at them. So if you want to add them, whatever. But I, I just I just listen and I try to hear their perspective because it's always I want to hear what the national perspective is. Because to me, again, the only national guy that I've actually seen that's been on this case since day one has been our good friend Doug Farrar. So yeah. I'm listening to the Yahoo uh, NFL podcast and they do a breakdown of each game. It's Charles Robinson and uh, Frank Schwab. And so last week, Frank, I, I think, said that Matt Rule is a really good coach, <clears throat> uh, but he's been hamstrung by the quarterback decisions. Uh, Charles, who for I think Charles has, I don't know if, what type of <clears throat> relationship he has with Rule or if he has one, but he's from Texas, so he knows what, what Rule went through at Baylor. But I also think that uh, Charles has uh, good sources with Tepper. So according to him, at least, he's saying that uh, some of the quarterback moves were influenced by Tepper, which I think we had an idea with, uh, especially those comments last year about Teddy Bridgewater. <clears throat> um, so they both think that this guy's really impulsive and he can make a move that would that they don't agree with, which is firing rules. So they seem to be in the camp that they should keep him. But I don't necessarily think it's impulsive to fire a guy after two years and this product being as dire as it is. Am I wrong? No, I don't think you are. And there's the thing you got to look at. What, what is the trajectory? This again, if, if you're talking about Matt, I'm paraphrasing here, made a comment in the presser yesterday about, you know, and this might've actually been a while back, but it might've been yesterday too. It talked about, you know, Dave, wanted me to do this right. This was yesterday. Dave wanted me to do this right, so it's going to take time, blah, blah, blah. But see, there's this... The, the thing I get back to is what this fan had said on Twitter, and it made so much sense that, you know, they, they want us, in terms of the media and then the fans out there, to be patient while they do impatient things. They do impulsive things. Um, and I, I know you've said, you know, you don't view Tepper as impulsive. I don't necessarily view him as that either, but I do think he does have a tendency at times to get in the middle of things with the quarterback position. 
I think it's been made very clear by people I've talked to. And then, but you read like Joe person mentioned this again yesterday that Deshaun Watson's going to come up again, Billy, it, it will happen in terms of the conversation if, and when his legal stuff gets cleared up and that's a big if, and that's a big win, but I fully expect that to be something they engage with again, but they've just, just spilled out draft capital and they don't have a clear roadmap for success here. They built a nice little defensive unit. I'll give them credit. That's, I guess, the one thing I can say is, you know, there's some things there defensively that are that are positive. But you have a Son Reddick coming up in a contract year. What are you going to do there? You're going to give him a, a record deal and bank on him to be, you know, Von Miller for the next five, six years? A record deal with Jay-Z? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Seven. Seven years, Billy. Some of these guys don't play but three and a half years. Well, Rock Nation does have a, does a sports agency, so. Yeah, yeah, that's true, too. Um, <laughs> Mad Rule, as we as we do this podcast right now, is is addressing the media. So if anything pops up in his comments there, we'll, we'll talk about it. But the fact that he's having a presser on a Monday leads me to believe that he's safe in terms of his job right now. So that's just a quick update. Man, um, are we sure they fired Joe Brady at the end of the bye week? You know what? I only I know what to think. <laughs> it's so stupid this whole year. Um, yeah, Billy, I, I think you're spot on there. I mean, it, it's excuse me. It, it's it's hard to know who's really making decisions right now, but I have to believe just from people I talk to that Matt Rule is heavily influencing a lot of what they're doing right now in terms of the quarterback position. I know Tepper has his say in it too, but you know, talking about being hamstrung with bad quarterback play, being hamstrung with McCaffrey, these are all things Matt Rule had a hand in in terms of decisions, in terms of extending McCaffrey, in terms of not having a, a viable plan in terms of McCaffrey's absence. And Chuba Hubbard's a fine young back, but that's no substitute, and neither is Amir Abdullah. Um, and to me, I just think that – let's take quarterback out of the equation. I mean, John, we all saw that documentary they did uh, that they released in the spring after the draft. We, we saw the the process of determining that they wanted to go for Sam Darnold. So, and according to Joe Person, remember Joe Person, very well-informed, he says that Tepper was uh, very interested in Justin Fields. And yeah. don't forget that Tepper also went to the Senior Bowl and who did they coach at the senior bowl? Mac Jones. Um, so I think moving on from Teddy was clearly an impulsive move, but everything else that they've done during rules tenure has had rules fingerprints all over it. And I, I don't blame the front office at all for some of these decisions. I, I just think this was a, a Matt rule thing. And it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to, to figure out that the way he defends Darnold compared to Newton and Walker and even how we treated Teddy last year, it, it just, it's, it's, I've never seen it happen to an NFL quarterback like this, this type of coddling. I have never in my life seen any quarterback just, it's breathtaking to just witness yeah, and hear is. the way he defends him. So to me, that's a clear indicator that that rule rules guy is Darnold. And then the decision to trade for CJ, I don't believe that was a front office decision. I believe Matt Rule and Evan Cooper obviously had a really great relationship with CJ. And that was a decision that they probably made in the, in the coaching staff in the front office. Like, okay, let me talk to Jacksonville and see if we can make something happen. So I think they were acting upon 
the coaching staff's best interest to trade for Gilmore and Henderson. I don't believe Scott Fitter or Dan Morgan were actively searching that out. I could be wrong, but I, I don't think that's really the case. To me, I'm encouraged by what I see in the front office. Okay. Now I could be wrong. These guys could also be duds as well, but I just, I listened to their pressers and they're, they're very uh, well. The only one who does a presser is Fitterer, but he's very like to the point. He doesn't really give out too much information, which is how a press conference should go. To me, it seems like, to me, it seems like he's in some ways justifying why rule made these choices over why he made them. Yeah, I think context clues are important when you don't know the whole story. And you're exactly right, Bill. You're spot on with your Darnold analysis. The the coddling, which does him no favors, by the way, Sam. That that doesn't that, that's not what he needs. We talked to Greg Cosell earlier in the year, and the one thing Greg said, and I respect Greg as much as anybody in this league. Greg said Sam needs some good hard coaching. Well, part of that is your ability to be very direct and honest about the problems. Not oh, only one thousand percent. Not only in-house, which I'm, I, I don't know what the story is there, but but how you project that out. Because it is important to set the right message and set the right tone. And when you're, you know, the, his, his criticism of Newton right after the game, look, I'm, I'm not a Newton stan. I'm not going there. I'm just saying that was really out of line and really premature. And his contrast to that with Sam has always been, well, you know, everybody around him needs to be better. We need, you know, guys to do better for Sam, 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 Sam. And that's not doing him any favors. He's got to learn how to deal with it. Not did only you, externally, but internally. Did you get a chance to see the Eagles-Washington game last Tuesday? Um, yeah, I did. Were, did you see when Jalen Hurts fumbled, Sirianni was yelling at him? Yep. And yep. after the after the game, Sirianni said in a press conference that I – Jalen told me to coach him hard, so I have to yell at him to get him motivated. And that's how I'm yeah. going to kind of express myself is to yell at him and make those decisions. I know it looks bad. He's, essentially, this is what he said. He said, essentially, I know it looks bad on the television broadcast, but, you know, I, I mean, Jalen Hurts, for the rest of that game, he played really well. And, uh, you know, when you have a quarterback who is mentally uh, very strong up top and you can handle criticism and strong coaching, I think that goes a long way. Yeah. Well, he spent time under Andy Reid and Frank Reich. He knows what he's doing, Nick Sirianni. Again, I was skeptical of that hire, but it's turned out to be a, a really nice addition, and he knows how to message to his guys, and that's what's important. So he's learned from some, from some guys in Frank Reich. He's learned from some guys in Andy Reid who understand how to walk that line between you know embarrassing a guy but also being tough. And those two guys have, have been – and talk about Andy Reid – and, and Frank Reich had been two of the great quarterback developers of our recent era here, I think. I really do. So I just don't understand. You know, again, Matt Rule is speaking to the media. I just want to get this out there real quick. This is according to, to Darren Gant. This is a bit off the topic, but apparently, um, number one, uh, this is Darren Gant. Rule says they have somewhat significant number of positive COVID tests today. So they're sending guys home. Um, he sent the team home this morning. So that that's, you can't help that. That's I'm not blaming that on Matt, but that's just more shit luck. And that is the season. Everybody's dealing with it. Um, but Matt has also said, according to uh, Darren Gant, um, he'll announce definitively on Wednesday who his quarterback is this week. So here we are again, you know, 
<clears throat> you're going to build around Sam. Why the hell is he your starter right now? Why are you still doing this? You're out of the playoff race, and I respect Cam Newton. I love the guy that was sad to see the way that ended yesterday because I really do think that might be his last day ever in that stadium in a uniform. But just go with Darnold and play it out. And back to your point, Billy, about Bridgewater, the, the best idea all along, and you were so right, was just keep Teddy. <laughs> just, just draft a quarterback and work through this. I just everything just screams lack of planning, lack of preparation, doing things on the fly. And that's not how you build a successful organization. It's just not. So I'm real frustrated for fans out there. They deserve better than this. And as long as Matt Rule is the guy coaching this team, people have told me, well, you know, offensive coordinator, they'll, they'll you know, they'll just temper rule, make him bring in somebody with credibility. Who the fuck wants to come in next year and coach under this guy? I, I don't care how much money you throw. Name me one guy with credibility in the league who you target right now as your OC. And he's thinking, you know what? Yeah, I'll go coach for Matt Rule because he just fired his guy a year and a half into his tenure. Oh, by the way, you're going to give me the coach killer in Sam Darnold, and, and you're going to make me try to turn his shit around. Who wants to deal with that? Um, The only one I can think of is maybe Jay Gruden. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, he's kind of unemployed. Money. And, I didn't do it. Yeah, no, I just I, he's like the only one I would I could think of, and then it could be a situation where he views it as like an opportunity where if Rule gets fired midseason, Gruden could be interim and kind of use that as a springboard to maybe impress and win the full time job outright. Um, I think he did the, he did a similar thing last year uh, when he went to Jacksonville where. Again, similar situation. They didn't have much hope, and obviously they went one and fifteen. Uh, so they, just, they didn't really clean house. But again, I just right. what does I don't fix? know. It's I mean, like it's still Matt's offense, like you talked about. Yeah, Matt's got for way sure. Too much pride to give the keys to somebody like a Jay Gruden. I think. I just I, I think there's going to be some conflict on the horizon there with that front. Uh, by the way, Joe Person reports Matt Rule said he talked to David Tepper this morning. Quote, he's been unbelievably supportive. He's shown me nothing but confidence about me in the future moving forward. So that's, according to Joe Person, Matt Rule has been given the vote of confidence from his owner. So um, another quote, sorry. I don't, we, we're not going to broadcast the presser, but I'm seeing something else. Uh, Jonathan Jones says he hasn't, Rule doesn't say he's given confirmation he's back in 2022, but Tepper has given him confidence. So, yeah. All right, we'll see where it goes, man. I, I just, yeah. I'm not feeling very confident that this is going to work out well for anyone because now third year of their rebuild, their third year of their regime, uh, this this has certainly not been a rebuild. Uh, it's it's going to be very ripe for making short-term rash decisions, uh, and that's not a good combo. No, it's not. It sucks. The messaging sucks. The offense sucks. Um, his game management is one of the worst I've seen in years. Um, and the general direction and trajectory and energy with this operation is just at an all time low. Again, I, I, I would not say this if I didn't believe it. I don't have an agenda. If Mad Rule goes on to be a great coach in this league for this team, I'll be the happiest guy in the world, Billy. But I, I just see this as a kind of a, one of the low points in this franchise's history right now. I really do. And I, I'm trying to be positive here, but 
I'm not going to lie to people. I've been following this shit for a long time. I can't think of a time where things felt so bleak going into the next season, given the incompetency that he has shown as a coach at this level and given the lack of draft capital they have and given the quarterback they've invested that capital in, they're tied to him next year. I don't, I don't know, Bill. Yeah, it's hard. I, I'm kind of speechless with you, man. Um, anyway, is there, is there anything you well, want to It's not good to be speechless, but that, that's, that's real talk folks. That's where we're at. I, I mean, it's, it's, excuse me. I, I don't mean to, um, you know, kind of bring it such a somber note, but to me, I'm struggling to think of, <clears throat> excuse me, a voice a little cracked up there. I'm just struggling to think of optimism. I, I don't see it. There is none. There's none. I mean, the, the, I mean, the the fans are booing the quarterback. The fans are booing the coach. You know, that's the fans. That's not us. That's not me. That's not you. We're not inciting that. We're not responsible for that. That's your fan base. Those are your people that are paying money. Good, very good money, by the way, to go to this environment, which is not very good right now, and to sit through this mess. And I don't mind sitting through it on a Sunday. It's my job. I've got to do it. I've got a talk show I do during the week. I've got this podcast. I write a little bit on the side. I'm happy to do it. But it would be a lot more enjoyable to do it if I knew, okay, you know what? This makes sense. This feels like a legitimate NFL operation. And it doesn't. And it starts with the guy at the top, which is Matt Rule. Very good college coach. Very good builder of programs at that level but has yet to prove to me through almost two full seasons that he's capable of doing it at this level. And we're not alone in that assessment, Billy. There's people I talk to around the league. There's scouts we talk to all the time that just scratch their head at this and say, why are you doing it this way? Why are you waiting to play Brady Christensen this late? Where is Deontay Brown? Why are you platooning quarterbacks? Do you know how hard that is on your offensive scheme and your offensive line and your play caller and the clock management to do that? So many elements that are having to be defended that are just ridiculous right now. And the messaging on top of that from the coach is just pure first-class garbage. So it's just a totally unprofessional look, and it's an unprofessional product. One thing I will say to wrap this up, billionaires don't like to be embarrassed. So Matt better watch you know, how he's treating these pressers and what his messaging is like in the public. Because we can sit here and dissect ownership decisions and whatever, but I, I don't think Tepper enjoys embarrassment. And so no. we'll see, man. Um, you know, the Saints are COVID-ridden. Panthers, it seems like they're going to be COVID-ridden. Uh, I'm not feeling too good about next week. I think the Saints are fighting for their playoff lives. And, you know, it's funny. The Saints have only won one game inside the Superdome all year, and that was against the Bucks. Yeah. Um, and it seems like the game got moved to 425. So, yeah, yeah John. Um, I, just, I, I think Sean Payton will scheme this game up and they'll win. I, I don't – I mean, I, I like Carolina's defense, like I said. Maybe they can do some things like Tampa did to limit what they do. But if, if, if the Saints have their defensive guys in that game that they were missing early in the season, 
Yeah. They'll, they'll yeah. just absolutely throttle Carolina's offense. It'll be ugly. All righty. Um, anything else you want to get off your chest? Merry Christmas. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, sorry. Um, anything else you want to get off your chest? No, I think that about covers it. Uh, like we said, we're, we're taping this around noon on a Monday, and Matt Rule is having his press conference right now. So for those who were looking for a potential firing, as Jonathan Jones has been reporting and others, it doesn't look like that's going to happen this week. You never know what happens at the end of the season, but um, I, I don't think he'd be rolled out for a presser on a Monday if, if his fate had been decided. So we'll continue to follow it, and uh, always good to talk to you, Billy. Yes, sir. And um, for all of our draft fans, Carolina's what, six now in the draft order? Number six, I think. Yeah. So for anyone who's following that, that's where they are currently. So yeah. we'll see what the, what the next two weeks brings. Um, for John Ellis, I am Billy Marshall. Thank you again for – following and listening to us here on the roar brought to you by blue Wire. thank you and enjoy the rest of your week